0: This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. This month, Jonathan, Keith, and I got together and we talked about college towns, declining inventory, the possibility of transferable mortgages, earnest and earnest money deposits, the resurgence of motels, and we reflected a little bit on approaching 50 episodes of Sweat the Details and what the next 50 look like. As always, if you have a comment or a question, please send us a voice recording and we'll respond in our next show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hey, everybody. Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details, sitting here with uh, partners Keith Davis and Jonathan Kaufman. Uh been a little while since we've called up with you all, uh, but we've got a bunch of stuff we wanted, wanted to th- throw out for you. Um, I mean, one of the first things that we've been, you know, seeing seeing our agents talk about and, and seeing in the in the data is that people are, you know, the the real estate market is still doing very well in a lot of segments, uh, driven in large part by the uh, the, the low inventory and in, for pricing, and interest rates as well are extraordinarily low. Uh, I think Jonathan, Keith, we've been saying most of our respective careers that interest rates can't get it much lower, and then they tend to get lower and, and stay lower, uh, which is weird. Um, but I mean, you know, are y'all seeing conversations about people staying in homes for longer periods? Uh, when I started years ago, it was five; they were staying homes for three to five years, and now it looks like it's closer to ten.
1: Well. Uh, I'll I'll jump in and and first say thanks for having me back. Um, It's been a while since I've been on here. and (laughs) I've been hearing through the grapevine that you've been having podcasts and not inviting me. So (laughs) Thanks for having me back. And so, yeah, going along with your comment about interest rates, I think that goes along – goes hand-in-hand with every other prediction I've had since the middle of March. Um, We've been dead wrong. And so um, with interest rates continuing to drop, it does pose an interesting question. I think right now it's – look, this is – a little bit of econ 101 that it's stimulating the real estate market as interest rates have dropped below three and you know we're hearing of rates around two and a half and two and three quarters. Um, you know, people that are at three and uh, three and a half are refinancing. Um, it's pretty amazing. So it's stimulating things right now. But Jim, you're right. You know, what what's the repercussion down the road? And I think with a lot of decisions that have been made over the past couple of months. Um, there's there's always repercussions down the road, and it could be a situation where three, five, seven, ten years from now, the market could potentially stagnate a bit because um, people don't want to move. They don't want to go from a 2.5% rate to a 6.5% rate.
2: Right. Well, I think it 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 becomes more of a question of do they not want to move, or literally, is it basically an impossibility that the, you know, to go from a three hundred to a four hundred thousand dollar house may only seem like a you know a hundred thousand dollar bump, but when you put that hundred thousand dollar bump and double the interest rate on top of that, it's it's a pretty substantial, significant percentage growth and what your what your need to pay is. And so the real question is going to be are these loans that we're taking out right now are they going to be able to are banks going to be willing to make them assumable? Are we going to see some changes in the way that lending patterns work in the future? I mean most most of these loans if you read them they'll say with bank permission they can be assumed. So the question is, who's willing to go through that process? And, and um, you know, I know, Jonathan, you and I both went the 15-year route. I don't know, John, Jim, what you've done on yours, but it's, it, it, these low rates have made things possible that, you know, weren't weren't a reality 10 years ago for most people. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a whole different buyer environment.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a client last night who's doing a refi and he is at, he's like, f- I mean, he bought three or four years ago and he's at... F- three no four seven five and he's looking to refi at like two seven five you know and i said you know i told him i said make sure you look at you know 10 15 year loan and he said we're gonna we're gonna keep we want the flexibility of a 30 year but our plan is to pay it off in nine so (laughs) you know so it's it's the the rates at you know two and a quarter two and a half i mean i think that a lot of people are taking their time to buy the homes that they intend to stay in for 12 15 20 years sure if they got a if they've got a three-year-old you know that kid's going to stay there until you know she's out through high school, and you know one of the things that we're seeing is I think that's good for the neighborhood and the society as a whole, but from a market perspective, that pulls off a lot of inventory.
1: You know, a lot, which is the, one of the reasons why we're in the conundrum we are right now is there's no inventory, and you know as we know builders can only do so much. Um, but it would be interesting to kind of going back to Keith's comment, and I know we've talked about this. In the past, when rates were at four and you know four and a half and and amazingly low rates then, but this whole concept of an assumable mortgage, which um, used to be uh, relatively uh, or at least more normal, but mm-hmm. it, it's interesting that nobody's you know jumped on that. Like I don't know the mortgage industry, but the, can you imagine the value of a you know how much more would somebody pay right now for an assumable mortgage that you know that eight years from now that you could transfer, you know, hey, hey, I could get a two and a half percent rate right now, or I could get an assumable mortgage at three and a quarter or three and a half. Um, you know, th- there's there's some value, there's some value in that.
2: So, so let me let me take it a different. So, the assumable mortgage comment means that when I want to sell my house, the buyer of the house will get the benefit of what I've invested in. But what if the mortgage instead is a transferable mortgage? that yeah. I can move it from house A to house B, and that certainly means that I may need a second mortgage to make this step up from a smaller house to a larger house, but that I truly am buying a 30-year mortgage, that I intend to borrow $350,000 today, and over the next 30 years, I will pay it off. I just don't know what house will secure that loan. What the collateral is. Think about what the value of that loan is, right? I mean. It's it you know people there was there was a period seven eight years ago that uh, there was a local financial advisor who was pushing um, helocs that had fixed caps on them and his idea was take out a HELOC today and if interest rates ever hit ten percent you're going to have the ability to to borrow significantly lower than that for a pretty right. substantial chunk and the financial services industry actually called all those loans from that that lender. Um, and so we're not going to, you know, they, they actually made everybody close out those lines because of the potential liability of, of what that was long-term. But I mean, if you could invest in a 30 year mortgage and you knew it was going to be paid off and you would, could utilize it for 30 years, that would be amazing. I mean, it would, it would spawn lots and lots of buying.
1: It would, it would, you know, that would, you're probably right free up a lot of inventory and you know keep kind of the houses being more quote unquote liquid than they are right now. If you knew you you could uh yeah. move it from one to the next. Yeah.
2: Well I mean if if Jim's talking about the fact that we're we're talking to people who are saying because of how low interest rates are, I need a twelve to fifteen year house and that's going to cause problems seven years down the road or ten years down the road, if if we had transferable mortgages, those houses would be going on the market in five years as they as is is the Past right, that's the experience, and now you're going to be in a position where people are looking at their mortgages and they can't they can't move.
0: I mean, people. They, I think that, that people aren't going to be able to move um, you know, for life and mortgage circumstances. But it's you know to your point, Keith. You know who would who would implement and and, and affect that? I mean, I, I see that as being private private lenders, portfolio type lenders, and not. I think the asking for the, the for the Fed to to deal with that. It's asking them to think too creatively.
2: Well, you know, my my first real job out of college was was within the mortgage industry, and I was in the back office side of of a of a lender. And the at the time, the saying was, if you got a res, if you got a person's mortgage and their checking account, you had them as a client for life as a bank. Um, you just wanted to service their. It's the same reason that you look at the big banks; they all do, continue to service any mortgage they originate. They're not getting rid of their servicing rights, right? Um, Imagine now if you could lock someone up for 30 years as a bank client. It gives you much more flexibility with credit cards, gives you more flexibility. I mean, I I think this is a huge opportunity for for banks in this market. The we already are seeing secondary investors buying the mortgages outright, right? So we're we're back to a liquid secondary market. If those people know that they can count on an interest rate and it's gonna be you know, 75 basis points above a standard 30-year fixed rate, investors are going to buy into it. The banks are going to be offering it because they want the servicing rights. We just have to figure out how to manage the collateral piece between, uh, you know, when you're transitioning from house A to house B.
0: You make it sound so easy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's
2: call our friends. Let's call our friends <laughs> to the banks. Let's do it.
0: Um, so I think that, that would take an you know, that would take an extraordinary amount of technology um to do that and trust in not just the system but also the tech. Um so I am gonna dial dial back that for a second and then look to the tech that we've been using now. Um from a from a COVID perspective, uh we've all said and heard and you know have been repeated that the um the tech, that you know, that the, the COVID has has accelerated change. Instead of you know, instead of creating change, it's just accelerating what's already happening. Yes. Um, you know, I, from, through my lens, I think that the tech that we're using, we, m- many of us are already using, but it's becoming much more widespread. Um, You're know, you talking about ACHs and Plaid and Earnest and transaction management. Uh, I mean, Earnest is just something uh, no relation uh, with two ends. Uh, Earnest is allowing us to to basically have the client wire funds in um, to to our escrow account which has made life a million times easier, particularly the fact that the mail is becoming uh, slowed down. Um, yep. So how, how is it, you know, through your, your lens as principal broker, Keith, um, how have you seen that been, uh, that accepted by agents and by the clients?
2: It's a mixed bag. Um first off, so so those who have never used Earnest, and there's several of these of these groups out there, Earnest is not the only one, but um, Cozy is is doing this on the, the rent payment market. Um there's several other earnest uh, earnest money deposit groups that are out there, but it is using a technology that was designed by the banks. And so the system itself, plaid, um, is a bank-owned technology that allows for ACH transfers to to happen. Uh, far more cost-effectively than wiring funds through the Fed system. And it's interesting, we, you know, I would say 90% of our transfers happen flawlessly and clients are like, this is the greatest thing, but there are banks that do not allow the plaid technology to work. And unfortunately we've got, we've had some, some EMD payments that get snagged because a client doesn't know it's not going to work. And we don't know it's not going to work either. Cause we just don't know that they're with, you know, PNC bank is, is one that hasn't adopted, or at least has not worked within the earnest environment. And when it works it's amazing and when it doesn't work it's just frustrating it's you know it's a it's a new technology it's a new it's a new way of agents thinking and so we've we've got agents who if their first transaction gets snagged they'll never touch it again and that's the problem once they have experience they're out never get a
1: second chance to make a first impression we've we've talked about (laughs) kind of service and you know service that's invisible that you just kind of it just happens right and if you try something and it doesn't happen then that's that's the end of it you're yep. right well it's
0: funny I mean, the the offers i've been writing and getting the contracts you know it is it, it now seems almost like well how did i do business without this um mm-hmm. because i mean you're able to do a contract at nine o'clock at night and the money's in place by nine thirty, which is just a, a bonkers revolution if you will um you know from a have you seen any pushback from agents, Keith, on any of the tech that we're using, or that any are they trying to implement any new tech that they're pushing back on?
2: I, I'm I'm sitting here thinking through it. Um, you know, in in terms of truly of tech that is changing the way we do business or the way we think about it, right now in in 2020, Ernest is the one that I think has had the biggest impact. Um, I think, from an internal business operation standpoint, things like Slack certainly have the opportunity to change the way we communicate. Um, you know, in at Nest, uh, we've been we've been doing a much better job this year using Basecamp for managing our projects. It's not mm-hmm. a new technology to the marketplace; it's new to our, our business, um, and it's something that I think as as departments, as you know, different companies grow, th- project management like a Basecamp or a, or a um, Asana. They're, they're they're tools that that create, you know, less friction, but also can create more friction when they're not used, you know, when they're not they're not comf- you know, users aren't comfortable with them yet. Um, but in the real estate industry, I mean, I think it's, we've, we've seen, you know, our property management, um, I do know people are using Cozy, which again is, is a similar product to Ernest within a different environment. Um, but we you know, one of the things that, that we've been talking about internally is we're going to have more and more of these companies in the prop tech fields and, and Ernest is, is one of them, their, uh, marketing directors, we're going to try and get her on the air, uh, in the next couple of weeks to talk about what they're doing and how that, that prop tech area is is changing. Um, but I think there are a lot of fun, but they're all small, right? They're all in really minute markets. They're doing very specific things to improve that that item that you know wherever their little focus is. Um, but I don't, I can't think of anything that's getting real pushback right now.
0: I mean, I think that the the thing that I'm saying that from a from a, a cross market perspective is that. Um, so many more agents are using video now for, for walkthroughs, for previewing properties, et cetera. But from a marketing perspective, it's really difficult to get those, those, those videos out because, in large part because of MLS rules. Um, right. you know, the, the politics of MLS are making it or hamstringing agents' ability to do it. Uh, and the big boys like you know Zillow and, and such are, are making it much easier for, for tours to be put forth. The, the other it.
2: piece, Jim, is that we're you know we're seeing such short days on market. So many of of these marketing tools that we're having are they're more time consuming than we have mm-hmm. to actually market the property because uh-huh. they're they're selling too quickly in many in many many instances.
0: Well, I, mean, I think that's that's an opportunity for us to 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 keep implementing those technologies. So because yeah. the market the market is going to shift, it always does. You know, so you start building up the familiarity with these techs. So when we do shift, you're you're already well-versed in how to use them.
1: I was talking with our videographer earlier today, and he's got a stack of property videos that he completed that even, I mean, turned around pretty quickly. But even before he got the videos done, the homes were under contract. So we were just talking about what do we want to do with the videos. And in some cases, the sellers don't want to, you know, re-promote their house yeah. again. So the videos are just going to
2: sit in a vault. <laughs> uh, which, which actually is funny, is. Jonathan, because it does make me think back to when Zillow was pretty new to the, the marketplace and a house would sell and Zillow would keep the uh, listing photos up because it was a demonstration of what the property was. And it was a good representation of, hey, this is what your neighbor's house was worth on this date and this is what it looked like and buyers at that time when it was, when it was, you know, novel technology, buyers were calling us all the time going, how do I get all those pictures taken down? I don't want people to know what the inside of my house looks like. Right. Um, and now I think people are more, I don't know if they're more comfortable or if they're just resigned, but they're not complaining as much. I
1: well, think cases Zillow does take them off. I don't actually know why. In some cases you can look back at a property that's closed and the, the listing photos are still there. In other cases you just get the street view, um, and a map, and that's it. So that's a probably a question that we need to ask the Zillow, the Zillow crew, as to why that's the case. Speaking of uh, kind of change and innovation, um, you know, the way that that COVID is affecting all of us is that there's been a lot of discussions around where people are moving to and where people are moving from, and I think if you Google. Um, there's a thousand blog posts out there that are talking about about this, and actually some de- some you know written debates uh, in New York about the you know the the, the downfall of New York versus New York's going to come back stronger than ever. But you know talking about specifically for us and how it relates to. Charlottesville, where we where we founded Nest, and we also operate in a couple of college towns. But you know, that, what, what do you what do you all think the the future of the college towns are? You know, there's there's a lot of debate about what's happening with colleges right now. But you know, talk to me about what your debate, what your thoughts are on on the the future of college towns.
2: The future, short term, long term. I mean, that's that, right? I mean, that's the, we're in 2020. I think the fall of 2020 going into Christmas, not knowing whether we're going to find a, a vaccine or even a therapeutic treatment, that's going to work to get us through this. I think the next couple of months are scary for college towns. Um, I think the education is still going to remain one of the greatest exports that America has. Um, it is, you know, we, I would love to think that we're going to see a flattening of uh, tuition prices, but I don't know that that's realistic at all. But I do think you know, I think college towns ba- bounce back. But in but until we have a vaccine that allows a college resident, not not a not a not a student, but an actual town resident to feel comfortable having the college students back, it's going to it's going to be a changed environment. Right. I mean, um, we're here in Charlottesville. I've shifted the grocery store that i go to um because the one i go to typically is near the university and now i'm 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 going the opposite direction from my house the exact same distance traveled but to a to a store that's not going to be frequented by college students because i think in general my feeling is i'd rather go to a less crowded store um in this environment so i think we're going to see a lot of that type of shifting i think we're going to see people who are are less um you know, we're certainly seeing less game day type activity on weekends in college. Times. Right. And that's, 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 that's going to be, be the a big hit. financial, it's a huge financial hit. I was actually just sitting
1: here just thinking about that. And, and, you know, football in Charlottesville is not football in Alabama and Tuscaloosa and places like that. But just thinking through this real, real briefly about how some of these businesses are going to be hit. Um,
2: it's still 64,000 six, people,
1: 60,000 people come to a game and let's just assume that 30,000 are from out of the area. That's, You know, maybe Hmm. high, maybe low. Times six games—that's 180,000 people that aren't coming in. And if they spend an average of—you know—you come in, you spend on the low end $500 over the course of a weekend. You know, a night at a hotel and eating out and T-shirts—that's 90 million dollars. Which is a huge. That's a huge take on. well and
2: but a family of four is not spending 2000 but but I know what you're saying I mean you're in and, yeah. and
1: yeah true True, but, but let's it's say a but, half or a yeah. third. Thirty million dollars you lose out of the economy,
2: and that's for six days. You're not counting the basketball season. Mm-hmm. You're not counting the other events, and you're not counting yeah. the non-rev sports that have parents who travel for them every single time that a child participates. I mean, it's it's a huge impact. It's a you know just parents' weekend, just a homecoming weekend. I mean, how many how many UVA grads come back for homecoming weekends and reunions weekends mm-hmm. and the other things that they do, that absolutely drives the service industry of, of college towns. I
0: mean, I think we're probably looking at one to three years of, you know, a stagnated, uh, not stagnated, but a, a slower and different, uh, local college economy. Um, but I think that you're looking at w- once we figure out what, whatever new normal looks like, I think that the, 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 bit big, not, not the big pilot towns, but the thriving college towns that have cultures and they're able to continue are going to do extremely well. But I think that you're, you know, you're, you're likely to see, um, you know, some colleges around the country they are, they, they might may not be here in five years. Um, I think that's a, a legitimate risk. Um, but I think that, you know, from a from our markets perspective, most of the colleges are going to be struggling for the next six to 18 months. You know, as they figure out you know, how to bring kids back safely, uh, if at all. Uh, and then once we, once we get through that, I think things will be different, but okay. But I mean, I look at, you know, my college I went to VMI, you know, I don't know how, you know, I, I don't know that I would have trusted an 18, 19 year old me to be socially responsible, uh, <laughs> to, to stay, you know, to, to make good, the best decisions. Um,
2: the, ama- the amazing thing though, is you look at Lexington. Okay. So we'll just to pick on a smaller town in Virginia that has colleges. Lexington is a college town, right? Mm-hmm. It is driven by VMI and and Washington and Lee. And you don't think of Boston as being a college town, but when you look at Boston, Boston is Boston College, Boston University, it's Harvard, it's MIT, it's Simmons. It's, it is an enormous amount of their you know, as a percentage of the of the economy, as a college is the same way, probably not, but it is absolutely driving that market. And so, even the big cities you go to you go to New York and you look at NYU or Columbia or it's these are every city is going to be impacted. Um, it's not just quote college towns that are going to be be hit by this. I mean, this is a huge economy in America
0: i mean i think it, it's it's gonna it's gonna affect everything local politics transportation uh future planning it's it, it touches every aspect of our society
1: and you you also can look at it on the flip side and say how is how do college towns and i'm using air quotes and there's a lot of towns out there that you don't think of as college towns that are college towns but how do college towns look at this as an opportunity and i think you've got to continue to say how do we get jobs or how do we get amazing wi-fi here and how do we you know provide the resources for people to relocate to our area whether they're working remotely or whether they want to bring a business from new york city to charlottesville or ann arbor or chapel hill or you know austin you know what, what are those towns and doing to think into the future and, and that's going to be the um, the difference, I think, between the college towns that really thrive 10 to 15 years from now and the ones that just kind of sit back and say, hey, we just do education and and right. that's what we do. And we want to keep it small and quaint and we don't need to worry about, you know, exceptional Wi-Fi anywhere outside of three miles outside of the urban ring. And so there's a lot of big decisions that need to be made, Jim, like you speak to from a government perspective or a planning perspective that could, you know, could open the floodgates or could, you know lead to the demise of some some of these towns mm-hmm. and it's just it's evolution and you just kind of think proactively
0: well, i mean i think you look at it, it you know when with you know coal towns for example or mining towns or you know these legacy industries um as you know evolution happened you know things you know the the towns change and they and they move on um so i think it's it's a uh, it's it's an interesting time to be sitting here and uh to trying to project out what the next five 10 15 years are going to look like for sure
2: I mean the other you know the other interesting thing is that I think with the larger universities the research schools they have already kind of started making that pivot they did that a decade two decades ago when they instituted you know patent foundations and and tech transfer groups that that were attempting to commercialize what the you know the the academics have, have been creating um, and, you know, and I think, though, I, I talked to enough families that, you know, they've got these leases in Charlottesville. And even though schools are talking about going online or, you know, UNC that went online this past week, um, the number of students who you you look on their posting boards online, and those kids are all staying in their apartments because they're paying for the apartment for the year. So right. even though they're going to be studying online, they're going to be studying online in their college town. They're not necessarily all going home to their, uh, you know, to their parents' houses and, and going back into you know, if they're in dorms, that's a different story, right? They can, many of the, many of the schools are giving those money back. But so, you know, maybe the, the life of the college town changes for the resident, but it, it may not, for the college student, the way the college student, you know, interacts with the community may not change as much as we're, as we had, you know, were thinking three months ago it would.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. It's old as, old as new again. Um, gonna say this in one more question. Uh, you know I read a story the other day I think The Wall Street Journal about how motels are becoming popular again. They're having a massive resurgence because there's no because hallways. there's no there's... hallways, there's no elevators, there's no common space. yeah uh, you could drive right up and they' and there people are are finding the the love of the road again because people can't fly nearly as much. so it's it's uh, one of those things that you know colleges are going to evolve and you know we'll see what happens as as they move forward. Um, well,
1: I'll, I'll tell you real quick plug. If anybody travels to Austin, Texas, and you're staying north of Austin in, in the Domain area, if you're familiar with Austin, um, there's an amazing motel called the Lone Star Court, which I think a couple of years ago sent, I sent you all, you may not remember, sent you pictures when I stayed there. And it's this new kind of retro motel that they've built, fire pits, bocce courts, you know, a pool kind of in the middle. Of this uh, funky Austin motel, but uh, you know that that could be the the roadmap for the next Hilton hotel. It could be <laughs> Hilton motels. So, R- Lone Star Court, Austin, Texas.
0: That's yeah, fantastic.
2: So you, you know, you say that, and I, I'm now like wanting to like reach out to somebody at Disney and find out how those you know because they've got they've got several motels still in the Disney World. Um, you know, within their family, and uh, I'd love to know if those are getting higher demand this year than they have in past.
0: I I'll, I'll send you the article, but I mean, it, it says that the, the the percentage for for motel occupancy is up like some absurd like 400 percent, and wow. like the big and the big high high rise hotels are down you know x x worse percent. So it's uh, you know, it's, I think it's you know, if nothing else, we're living in a, in a very, very interesting time to to Look, see what it, happens.
2: It's it's really simple. If you want to go to a resort community right now, you can get a room. If you want to go find a Airbnb house that you want to stay in, there's not one available in almost any community. I mean, it's they're booked up. It's amazing. Yeah. So people want right. to be people want the privacy right now.
0: So last thing. Um, We are, this is going to be nearly the 50th episode of Sweat the Details. Uh, I think when we push this one out, probably be number 48, 49. I wish we could have delayed it to make it a nice round 50. Um, What are y'all's thoughts on how we've evolved this podcast in the last uh, two and a half years? Two and a half years.
1: That's amazing. Um, You know, I think I, I you know look I'd say overall I've, I've had I've had a lot of fun doing it and it's great to get the feedback from folks that are that are listening to it. Um, you know, I, I'd say that the evolution for us continues to be like how do we continue to kind of bring in anything that is real estate and home or community, you know, urban planning related. Um, and so that's I think the kind of the next evolution for us is to continue to kind of focus on that and that real estate, you know, bleeds into prop tech and things like that, which we'll be talking about. So Keith, you know, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I mean, I think this is, you know, every, you know, I guess it's once a month or so that we, we all start throwing out names of who we'd love to have, um, as guests. And it, it is, it's, it's, it's a challenge to keep this fresh in terms of, of, the people we know in the community that we, we have relationships with, but there's so much always happening and whether we're, whether we're going to be reaching out to iBuyers or whether we're looking at, you know, finding a mortgage lender who's willing to come on and talk about the new transferable mortgage that they're going to institute next week. (laughs) Um, and if, if you're listening to this and you're interested in putting together a transferable mortgage, please give us a call. We'd love to help you market it. Um, but I, you know, I think there's, there are going to continue to be innovative moves in the, in the business, but they're also, are businesses that we know who go back to their roots and do it right from, you know, from the very basic old-school uh, relationship building, and those are the fun people to, to talk with about how they're doing it and how they're, how they're maybe you know, separating themselves from their marketplace by just doing it right. And, um, I think those are the guests that we're going to keep having on and, and that's not going to change. And I think the tech people are going to continue to, to uh, amaze us with, with new ideas and, and ways to change our business.
0: Awesome. All right, guys. Good seeing you. Thanks for, uh, making the time. Um, on to the next one.
2: 50 more.
1: 50 more.